to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film, Jaws, one minute at a time, or thereabouts. I'm your co-host, MJ Left Shark Smith. <laughs> and I am Sarah Right Shark Buttery, if that works, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, we are talking about another minute of Jaws. I say minute, it's like eh, just under... Two minutes um yes yeah, so this the timestamp of this scene is uh 24 minutes and 30 seconds to 26 minutes and five seconds in if you are following along at home hopefully you are um and this is uh where we see the two fishermen who are heading out at night in the hopes of catching the shark one of them hooks up a large chunk of meat uh to a hook to use as bait and then we see Brody, who is uh, who has not listened to Ellen in the previous scene, to put down the shark books and stop worrying, <laughs> uh, and has immediately gone back to the shark books and is flicking through them. And we see some really grim pictures in this book. Uh, we mentioned that last week that we weren't sure if it was the previous scene or this week's scene. Can confirm it is this week's scene. It is pretty gross and I paused this bit a lot because there's lots of great stuff in that book. Um okay, right. MJ, do you wanna do you wanna kick us off with the things that you enjoyed or noticed in this scene? Yeah, I uh I have never get given this scene a lot of thought necessarily. Mm. Like it feels just kind of like connective tissue between events. Not that it's killing time necessarily, but it's just it's just kind of slowly setting up um, what's about to happen with the uh, the free-for-all where we get introduced to Hooper on that day, you know, presumably the next morning or the next couple days where all the fishermen go out and they're dropping charges in the water and things like that. And watching it kind of isolated for this show, it's kind of great. I really like it. Mm-hmm. Um, the two fishermen are hilarious. They're... <laughs> they have a lot of really good jokes that feel like they feel like they're almost from like a, like a 1930s, like Keystone comedy um, with just like one guy doing all the work and the other guy being like, (laughs) I'm tired. (laughs) Can we just go home? I don't see why we're doing this. And then the other guy being like, Oh, my wife better be, uh, uh, you know, my wife better not find out. This is our 4th of July roast, which isn't a thing here. (laughs) <laughs> Nobody roasts anything for the 4th of July. Everyone barbecues hamburgers and hot dogs or stu- and stuff. Uh, but, I, I mean, I guess I wasn't alive in the 70s. I don't know if they did roasts for every single holiday, but that is not something I have ever heard of. Um, and then Brody, looking through the, the, the stuff, I have more to say about that a little bit later, mm-hmm. but it's... Uh, it's really good. It looks really cool with the reflection in his glasses of mm-hmm. the pages flipping by. Um, and 
yeah, it's it's a really um, quiet scene. There's not a lot of dialogue besides those two guys kind of joking around. And um, the score makes it feel really tense, though. It mm. feels like something bad's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, the score in this in this scene, it's been a little while since we've sort of heard it. I think in 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 this kind of like uh what am i trying to say in in this amount duration it, it seems like a little while since we've had a bit of score that has been enough to sort of like shout about i mean the whole score in jaws mm. is great but it sort of feels like in this bit there were bits that i was picking up within the score that i really liked and something that we've mentioned previously is that that sort of like otherworldly sense and the the score when Brody is flicking through the book and the accompanying the images that he is seeing is really effective as well. And, and something that I noticed, I, I flagged in last week's episode, was the sound of the ticking clock when Brody was looking through the images. Um, and at first I wrote down in my notes that the score sort of sounds like a ticking clock because it does. Like the very sort of like background notes of the score are this sort of like bum, bum of which sounds like a ticking clock and then i started to hear the clock as well and i was like oh that's cool i like that yeah. those two things have have come together and we're getting this sense as the sort of uh pace of the music picks up as well that things are getting more dangerous and obviously brody is blissfully unaware that these two fishermen are out on a little jaunt at sea because they're the other side of the island but i like that it sort of flips back and forth between those things and we get that in the next scene as well where the action sort of really picks up a bit with the the fishermen um and what we see there but yeah this sense that Brody is sort of against the clock that things are getting more serious and he's is sort of even though he's just doing something which is you know what seems fairly innocuous you know he's just sitting there and reading a book it's becoming more serious and he is sort of against the clock as it were to learn as much as he can about about this shark and, and figure out what he needs to figure out and something I haven't quite twigged about why he is so obsessed with reading the books is that he's perhaps trying to do a bit of swatting ahead of Hooper's arrival <laughs> um obviously oh, mm-hmm. he yeah like he, he doesn't he doesn't know who is going to be coming yet but he knows that an expert from the oceanographic institute is coming and obviously anticipates their arrival the next day so it could be that he you know he doesn't just want to look like the cop he wants to sort of look like the guy who knows what he's talking about in front of hooper as well and i've never really put two and two together and come up with that before but it could be yeah part of the reason why he is sort of like head in the books um at this stage yeah, it also, it, this th- that scene of him flipping through the book is so great. It feels like it should be in a spy movie. Like, I feel <laughs> like you could put, you if you replace the book with, like, I don't know, something about Russia or whatever, and then put it in, like, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, it would fit right in to that movie. Um, and... Just, I love the way this book is reflected in his glasses as he's reading, and it's it's got it, it amps up the importance of it in his eyes. Like it's literally the only thing; it's filling the frame of his glasses. Like it's the only thing he's focusing on. 
mm-hmm. right now. He's getting obsessed, uh, mm-hmm. which is, you know, pros and cons to that, right? Like, he's clearly <laughs> ignoring his wife's advice from the last uh, scene, which isn't great. Um, but he's also getting to know the enemy, you know? He's he's trying to figure this out and, and trying to, to suss out, like, how do I take down this creature and, and what does it mean for me and and my job and how am I supposed to deal with this and so you know he also wants to make sure he's well read on the behavior of this he wants to make sure he's well read on what he could be dealing with as far as size as far as if someone else were to have an encounter and maybe survive what that would look like for them um yeah that whole scene is is really great and I love that he makes noises when he gets yes. to the the bite pictures um, i didn't notice that before like, yeah i never noticed that either but it gives like a lot of humanity to him because you th- you would think like oh he's a new york cop he's used to seeing this stuff and mm. uh you know he's still seeing that and being like oh shit <laughs> um, that's does not look good yeah yeah this like feels like you could take this shot out like you said and put it into a spy film or another sort of like cop thriller and you know it's it's the cop going over or the spy going over the case notes or looking over the you know the things that they know about the enemy and trying to work out everything that they need to know to be sort of ahead of the game like Brody has not himself physically encountered the shark yet he's sort of seen this just mass shape thing out at sea Mm -hmm. when alex was killed but he has not sort of come face to face with the enemy yet so he is equipping himself with all that he needs in order to feel like he has you know got the got the upper hand on on the enemy and that is what he would do in any situation and i really like that brody approaches this in exactly the same way as i imagine he would have approached any crime like any thing that he was dealing with when he was a cop in new york whether it was investigating a homicide or you know i don't know if he sort of worked in a specific department but can imagine that he would have that he would have seen some stuff and this is what you do you you take the time with the evidence with the the knowledge and the information that you need to sort of be that one step ahead of the the criminal uh, which I guess in this case is the shark. Um, and yeah, it, I, I just, I like that. I like that he's not, he's level-headed enough to not be thinking that he needs to approach this in a vastly different way. He is using the experience that he has and he is obviously a good cop um, and approaching it in in that way. And I, yeah, I really love just that shot of of him with the, images being reflected in the glasses and i own a couple of you can sort of buy as like fun little uh gifts for the film lover in your life where it's sort of like a a film cell of jaws um Mm -hmm. and i have two i have um the shark uh popping up behind brody just ahead of the uh you're gonna need a bigger boat line and i have um the shot of uh roy scheider with the reflection in his glasses as well because they are two of my favorite shots in the film so kudos to the friends who bought me (laughs) those um what a great gift uh would recommend i'm not sure where they got them from but pretty cool and yeah it's i just i i love how much is conveyed in just that shot and what seems so simple 
I love that it's just this sort of close up on Brody as well, filling the whole frame. And even when we're not seeing the pages of the book, we're seeing them reflected in his glasses. And it, as you said, it, it shows that is where his entire focus is. You know, the images fill up his glasses, but also he is at this point pretty obsessed. <laughs> the fact that he has ignored his wife's uh, advice uh, to sort of like take it easy, have a drink, relax. I like to think that Ellen is like in bed at this point and he has just like snuck out like, I'm just, I'm just, go I'm going to the bathroom and then just has sat down with the books and is, <laughs> is kind of doing it on the sly is my, uh, is my theory. Yeah, um, I think it also, too, it, uh, I think I'm right about this, but <laughs> I didn't Google it, and I could, <laughs> but I'm not going to. Um, you also can't just go watch a great white shark anywhere, particularly in this time, um, you know, footage of it is, is pretty few and far between, but also they don't have great whites in, like, aquariums and stuff. You know, it's not like you can just pop over and, and you know, there because there are some places that I think have hammerheads and other types of sharks. But one, the Great White would just eat everything in its tank. And <laughs> two, uh, I think they have to constantly be in motion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's great for like putting it in a tank is great for uh, uh, that. Um, so it's not like they're they're very unknown. Uh, creatures as far as their behavior and you know there, there's probably not a ton of information on them and I'm, I'm not sure if tagging you know existed in the way it does today so it, it's got to be hard to to find and also I would be remiss if I didn't bring up do you know Rosie the shark I don't but uh tell me more <laughs> from Mel uh from Melbourne Australia the uh, the preserved shark who was found in a uh, uh, an abandoned water park. Oh, <laughs> so, no, but tell me more. <laughs> so Rosie the shark, I'm dropping the link in Discord. Um, so Rosie the shark is, I think, the most completely preserved great white shark specimen that we have. And she's been preserved in formaldehyde. But then this water park in Australia got abandoned. And they abandoned Rosie, and so she was kind of just rotting. Oh, and this is uh, horrendous. Sorry, I'm just looking at this image, and um, I wasn't scared of sharks, but I might be now. Yeah, <laughs> it's rough. Um, but in 2019, they, uh, it's uh, someone took took custody of her and is working to to clean the tank and and preserve her the best she can still be preserved, uh, based on having just sat there for 10 years. Wow. Huh. Yep. Okay, that is very interesting. I just, that, <laughs> I will have to put these pictures on the Twitter so people know what we're talking about, but just this, like, picture of the shark's jaws and the background is, like, entirely green is yeah, honestly nightmare fuel, but very cool. And, yeah, I think, I, I think you're right. I don't think that... I don't think you're allowed to keep great whites in aquariums and there's the moral issue of whether you should really keep anything in a in a tank um in an aquarium but right they wouldn't yeah you're right you know they wouldn't have been able to have seen these sharks in in any way at, especially at the time and I mean even now we have 
we have the internet and you can just type in great white shark into youtube or wherever and find you know tons of, of videos and documentaries and stuff are able to go down in the in the special equipment and film and stuff as well but certainly at the time as well like sharks were unknown and one of the things that people criticize jaws for i mean as if you could criticize jaws for anything but i, I kind of get this is that it made the it made sharks the enemy and it made them seem like they were these sort of murderous ferocious beings and yes that is what bruce is in <laughs> in jaws but mm-hmm. it was also they were sort of playing i think on the fact that he didn't know a whole lot about these about these creatures and the book that brody is reading it doesn't seem to be sort of specifically this is about a great white shark it seems to be a just a sort of like catch all for just any and all sharks you see a sort of variety and shapes and sizes in in the book that he's going through so yeah and it's not really until hooper arrives that they and they examine the remains that they're able to work out like what type of shark this is so Brody is doing the smart thing at this stage which is just kind of like you know strolled into the library and was like sharks and the you know little librarian of Amity just like pointed him to this section (laughs) drops a stack of books and dust pops up and yeah he checked out every single book they had on sharks Mm-hmm. which apparently is quite a lot because he had quite the stack on his desk yeah. in the in last week's scene but yeah I, I i i don't know whether i think that what jaws did was necessarily bad for sharks i think it created a fear in people which is you know the movie has done its job so fair enough and then a lot of time has passed like i i obviously and neither were you we weren't around at the time to watch it then living in the 70s and not knowing that much about sharks like we've watched it now having seen documentaries and having seen you know footage of sharks and just knowing more about them so i don't i don't know if it was just maybe at the time that was what people that was it affected people more yeah i mean do you guys have shark week we don't and i wish we did Hmm. (laughs) yeah but i mean we have enough programming to dedicate entire weeks worth of uh content on one's channel to things about sharks so the information we have is is insurmountable compared to what was available at the time of the film and and you know i understand conservationists saying um that the film hurt sharks overall i think that uh, once again correct me if i'm wrong um didn't google it but i think that maybe had more to do with foreign perception or the idea of you know i think a very real controversy surrounding sharks um is shark fin soup where they Mm. just cut the fin off the poor shark and just let it die um in in the ocean like i think that led to maybe a a, not as much caring on the part of um particularly western uh film goers uh when when they heard about that like they were like oh well those things are just killing machines you know maybe they're we're better off without them Mm. um so i could see it doing damage in that way but i also think most people now don't feel that way and it might be too little too late but i i do think that you know i think you can see both sides of that issue you can still very much enjoy the film as a, a terrifying man versus nature um 
you know, movie about a, a murderous great white shark and also understand th that, oh, that's probably pretty inaccurate and not, you know, it takes place in a movie, a heightened movie reality, not actual reality. Mm, yeah. If only we were having a shark expert on the show in a few weeks' time and would maybe be able to get some answers Man, to I just questions. picture him listening to this being like, I'm done. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is my podcast now. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're ready uh, to be educated on that episode. So, yeah, you guys are going to want to come back for that one. I mean, come back every week because, you know, we have stuff to say, intelligent stuff to say sometimes. Although on this episode, it seems to just be us saying, well, I'm not going to Google that. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to fact check that. I'm just going <laughs> to throw something out yeah. and hope it's true. Um, it's easy to feel high and mighty about people who uh, believe coronavirus is a hoax and feeling like you could never feel that way. But <laughs> it's the same mentality of like, <laughs> I'm just going to say this. I'm not going to decide whether or not that's true. I'm not going to find out whether or not that's true. I'm just going to decide it for myself. Yeah. Blissful ignorance is <laughs> yeah. is the name of the game. Um, yep. I did just want to talk about this book some more. So I hmm. am an insane person and I... Uh, watched this scene normally and then i watched it a couple more times normally and then i watched it like frame per like frame by frame so that i could clock like every page of this book that brody stops on and even some of the ones that he flicks through so it took me a while uh <laughs> yeah honest. um but my hard work has meant that i think i have picked out all the examples of foreshadowing in this book and boy is there a ton i mean this book might as well just be called like foreshadowing an illustrated guide or something because almost every image particularly the ones that like Brody really stops and focuses on are things that happen later in the film or I don't I, here's my question did they just is this just a did they just happen to find this book and then there's a ton of things in it that just <laughs> happen to be foreshadowing events in the film or was this something they put together because I think here's my thing I think it is either a couple books and they're sw switching back and forth yeah um between it because there's shots of Brody in between yeah or it's a book that they found doing their research writing the film that they slid into the movie right yeah. That makes or sense. that Peter Benchley did found doing his research for the book even. Yeah, because there are some remarkable coincidences and examples of foreshadowing that are in this book. So uh, things that I things that I spotted and I wrote my list down here. So this in my notes I wrote next to it. This was incredibly hard to see, and you will only see it if you watch it frame by frame like I did. Um, but there is sort of uh, an illustration of a cage and some divers, very similar to one that Hooper goes into later mm -hmm. when he is trying to dart the shark. Um, we see a shark with a um, the canister, like the oxygen uh, tank thing mm -hmm. in his mask. Mm -hmm. um, in his mouth, not in his mask. Um, <laughs> uh, a picture of a person who's in a sort of like crow's nest type of thing looking over the beach and... Not only does the beach look remarkably similar to, to Amity and the scene we get on 4th of July, but also that sort of figure in the crow's nest, um, that is where Brody ends up right at the end of the film when he is just about to shoot the shark. Um, and I had another one. Oh yes, there's like a, a picture of a group of scientists that are posing behind a sort of uh, jaw skeleton thing. And we pretty much see that exact shot um, at the film's almost halfway point when 
it goes the shot through the kind of like the jaws of the shark as the orca is going out to sea um mm-hmm. did i miss anything <laughs> or does that sound uh, about right? no that sounds about right crow's nest is yellow i think Okay. Okay. The, the little tubing thing that's uh, mm-hmm. sur- surrounding the the guy standing in it. It looks yellow to me, but it's also very dark, so it could be a different color. Mm-hmm. But it would make sense for it to be yellow because it's, it should be high visibility if it's up that high. Yeah. Um. Also, there's a oh, there's a a, a picture of like almost like a mythical um, recreation of like a shark biting a, it, what looks like a giant squid and blood mm-hmm. coming out, but it looks a lot like when blood is in the water, like when the guy gets his leg bitten off. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks very similar to that. Mm. Yeah. The, the sort of like gruesome injury detail that we see as well. It's a, there's a real focus. It seems to be on legs, um, which mm-hmm. <laughs> again, you could sort of see as, as foreshadowing the guy who gets his, like bitten off uh in a few scenes time um yeah man some of those images are are just horrific and i you better believe i paused it on all of those images as well just to take them in a bit a bit more (laughs) yeah did you um were you able to discern any of the text no i did i paused it at one point because the the caption under the picture just amused me i think but it was something that was like comparing a person like to a fish and it was something like and like the fish they'd like taken a piece out of him or something i, I don't know it was it's something along those lines i should have written it down but i didn't so that's funny yeah it's like uh <laughs> speaking of shark week when michael phelps raced a great white shark <laughs> on there which was the most disappointing thing i've ever seen (laughs) so what they did is they just ran a bunch of calculations to determine how fast a great white swims and then just had michael phelps swim in the ocean under conditions that a great white would be swimming in and see who was faster that's disappointing i I thought he was gonna race a shark yeah like alongside each other the shark's got a little swimming cap on yeah (laughs) little goggles that's what i'm picturing he's on a start block (laughs) yeah i do realize that the more we do this to the shark the more i think we're just turning it into jabberjaw the cartoon character (laughs) i'm not mad about it to be honest i'm I'm perfectly sure. happy with our life choices that we're uh, making on this podcast. <laughs> uh. Um, go okay, you go. Uh, the so getting uh, away from Birdie in the book and back to the guys on the beach. There's a lot of humor in it, and this goes back to my thing: comedy and and horror two sides of the same coin they're about to build up and release of tension and so these guys are kind of letting it's like letting the pressure off a little bit at a time a little bit at a time Mm -hmm. and we don't have it this week but we see what happens and it's you know we'll see it next week but there's definitely some real tension in this scene that 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 i think can be kind of catch you off guard if you're just focused on the the guys you know talking about the pot roast and the wanting to go home and um i love the bit where the guy's like should we even be doing this and he's like don't worry brody's on the other side of the island like they're gonna get in trouble from the principal (laughs) yeah it's like they know they're doing something 
they know they're doing something wrong and also they're they might just seem like sort of you know maybe a bit dumb that they've just kind of like gone out with the wife's holiday roast and fairly sort of like basic equipment to try and catch a shark I, even if it was like a relatively small shark what they've got they still seem vastly underprepared for what they might yes. be <laughs> about to face but they're also kind of kind of smart because they've gone out at night whereas like the next day as we sort of see it becomes you know all the fishermen and their dogs literally are out at sea trying to catch the shark so they've almost like try to get ahead of the curve they've they've gone all right you grab the roast let me grab my hook and we will go out like tonight and try and get this like they're so desperate for that for that bounty of three thousand dollars that they're willing to do something which is pretty dumb um but i don't know if there's there's that element of that they've they've sort of thought about it enough to go okay well we really want to get that reward so let's go out there and be like the first guys to to get it and just hope that everyone else is safely tucked up in their beds and hasn't had the same idea as us yeah i mean it's definitely an early bird gets the worm mentality for these guys i guess <laughs> yeah and like i i can't tell because if i don't think they shot this actually at night they do that sort of like shooting day in the day night. but yeah but making it look like night but it's still like it's still pretty effective and it it's enough to fool it's... me <laughs> It's one, yeah, it's one of the better ones. Like some of the James Bond movies do that, and it looks awful. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, I, well, yeah, I've noticed. I don't know if you're going through it with him. I've noticed Martin's going through a lot of the James Bond stuff. He is. Yeah, I've I've not been partaking, but um... <laughs> is there a particularly bad example from a? Oh, which one film? is it? On Her Majesty's Secret Service, there's like a chase in the snow uh, at okay. night. And, but it's so obvious, like the sun is so obviously out. <laughs> yeah, they at least disguise the sun in this, in this scene. Yeah, like he it's... hides it well. <laughs> Especially since he, he's got to deal with the reflection off the water. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, unless they did it really early morning, like almost like at the same time they did, uh, uh, the Chrissy mm. attack. Yeah, that's a good point. It sort of seems like a similar level of light. I have to watch more of the yeah. behind the scenes stuff to to confirm. But um yeah, I yeah. I I like that there is that this scene like it like we said, it sort of seems pretty simple on the surface and we we've not sort of had like thematically as much to go into as we have in, in previous podcast episodes and previous scenes but it does that really smart thing of of balancing the the comedy with the tension as well and that's something that you might not necessarily pick out this scene straight away to be like oh this is a great example of jaws managing tension and and drama and and you know creepy things with the comedy but it actually does that really really well and i like like you, I like the back and forth of the of the two fishermen, and I like that. I think it's Charlie is <laughs> in the subtitles. They're Den Herder and Charlie, um, and Charlie is just kind of like he's not. I don't think he's as into it 
as Den Herder. I think he's been like dragged along for the ride, pretty much. He's a bit yeah. more. I think he's the one who says we should stop before someone reports us, and he is concerned that if they don't come back with the prize, they've just wasted the the holiday roast. So you sort of feel like the other guy is calling the shots a bit here and is sort of he's gone okay they wouldn't have texted him because that didn't exist then but he's like sent him a message or they've been down the pub or something and they've been like right it <coughs> seems like a great idea let's go out and try and catch this show <laughs> oh yeah this, this is 100 percent dad's drinking in the garage listening to old vinyl records <laughs> and then getting like too drunk and then <laughs> having a wild ass idea yeah that like maybe they're they're sort of planning to go out like the next day and then one of them is like you know what we should go right now i've oh, got a hundred percent that's what happened <laughs> i've got a hundred percent i've got this bit of chain here like yeah they they are the items that they take with them it what is it it's like a rubber tire um a hook and the sort of like a chain thing they those are a hundred percent things that they would like just find like in their garage <laughs> yeah well and like the the it, they feel like a laurel and hardy abbott and costello type of, <laughs> of character in this like you almost expect them to be arguing like who's on first while they're waiting for the shark to get the the roast mm, mm. um but yeah that's definitely <laughs> drinking in the garage listening to records and and just being like we should do this right now <laughs> <laughs> and then on the way there one guy's still sold out on it and the other guy got a little hungry for a hamburger and is like i'm tired i want to go home <laughs> yeah should we just should we just go should we just call it a night let's uh we could roast this up right now we don't have to we don't have to wait yeah <laughs> also yeah one guy yeah go, on. go ahead no, no, uh, no, i was gonna say one guy one guy feels like the the i think i've mentioned this before on on here but he feels like burr and hamilton when uh when they first uh decide to do the duel and he's like okay so we're doing this yeah <laughs> he's just being just being dragged along for the for the ride I, I can't remember which one it is that ends up in danger in the next scene i mean i guess we'll we'll find out but i think it's i think it's charlie just because something in my brain is telling me i that he's sort of like swim charlie or something like that so it's the guy if I'm right, and I'm not going to check because why would I? But um, it's the guy who like doesn't want to be there who then ends up like in <laughs> quite a serious amount of danger in the in the next in the next bit. So yeah, I don't know if these two guys are going to be pals after this. I feel like maybe maybe they're so drunk they won't remember it. Like they'll just wake up the next morning a little bit damp, and there'll be a missing holiday roast, and they'll just be like, "What did we do last night?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're gonna be like they're gonna go home and be like the the wife is gonna be like are you wet <laughs> and also where is <laughs> where's the beef <laughs> yeah <laughs> well there's the episode title uh okay oh, that's pretty good I, um, I didn't even yeah. I didn't even twig what I was saying until I came out with it and then I was like oh wait that's a thing <laughs> that's super funny but I mean I feel like I do that with like I feel like I, I don't have kids but I feel like people do that with their kids I do it with my cat all the time um 
but contrary to his namesake, my cat Brody loves the water. And <laughs> we have a cat fountain. But instead of just going up to it, so it's shaped like a flower and it has spouts all around the flower. So it, it, it it's like 360 degrees of water. But instead of going up to it and just facing it head on, he will extend his neck over the center of the flower <laughs> to get the water from the backmost spout. That's not, it's facing the wall. It's not accessible <laughs> to him whatsoever. But then to do that, in order to balance, he'll stick a paw on the side of the flower and just water from that spout will run over his paw back down into the fountain. Um, and then what he likes to do, which is very cute, he likes to cuddle with us a lot. But we'll just be laying on the bed and he'll go drink water and then come up and we'll be like, why are you wet all over your neck and paws? <laughs> I think that's what's going to happen to these guys. Like, the wife's going to be like, yeah, where's the beef? And why are you wet? <laughs> okay, so let's let's speculate here. What what kind of story do we think they might try and cook up as an explanation for where the beef has gone? Where is the beef? Uh... <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to say because here... You would just say, like, maybe coyote, because we have coyotes here. But I don't think there's very many coyotes on Amity Island. Yeah. You could blame Pippet and then just hope that she wasn't at the beach. And <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it was the damn neighbor's dog. Because, like, a kid's not going to come karate chop the, the, the roast out of existence, right? I mean... So you can't... <laughs> You can't do that. I did see the tweet going around about how hard you would have to slap a chicken in order to fully cook it. So. I was just about to mention that. So <laughs> my theory is that the kids from the karate school were like, how hard would we have to karate chop this bit of beef <laughs> to cook it, <laughs> to obliterate it? <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. You asked, where's the beef? And that is a watertight, foolproof story for where yeah. it's gone. <laughs> I just picture the other guy being like, I think she bought it. Yeah. <laughs> just giving him the thumbs up. Like, Good one. <laughs> I think we got away with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is, that, is that it? Is that all we have to say? Is just, <laughs> we, we have this too. It's this weird juxtaposition where Brody is looking at these horrifying images like that scene that shot of the skin hanging off the leg is so gross mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but then these two like guys just like screwing around on the dock and like having freaking vaudeville adventures with their their dialogue yeah it's a real it's a real scene of contrast but it does it does work surprisingly surprisingly well and i think that like we said earlier it, it gets that balance just right where you get that heavy heavy dose of foreshadowing with the pages of the book and then just this sort of light comedy affair going on out outside and brody being blissfully unaware that that is that that is happening and also these fishermen just sort of being too opportunists and and heading out there to try and find something but obviously as we find out in the next scene being incredibly 
underprepared and ill-equipped for the task at hand. But it does, I think it makes the, obviously we know what happens next. And I think it does, it does make that then even more impactful because in the other, I'm thinking obviously no one, neither of these two fishermen die. But in the build-up to Alex Kintner's death, which we talked about at length, um, we've sort of... He's like, had the conversation with his mum. We therefore care about him. And I think we mentioned at the time as well, like, he's the only one of the sort of, like, the group of children that has uh, a bit more of, like, a moment in that scene. Like, he has that conversation with his mum. So we're sort of, like, clocked onto him. And then when it happens, we care about it because we're like, oh, no, that poor little kid who was going to go out for just 10 more minutes. And now this has happened to him. So I think that in a similar way, having that sort of like fun, you know, banter between these two fishermen before the next bit means that they're not just these two anonymous fishermen. We're kind of like, oh no, that was the guy who like stole his his wife's roast and I don't want anything to happen to him. Um, So it gets that balance like just right, I think, and means that when it sort of switches and it does switch pretty quickly in the next in the next scene that we care about them i i'm also as we've mentioned in previous episodes both of us also kind of low-key and not even really low-key but we like seeing people get killed as well um in -hmm. films so it's sort of a bit it's also a bit disappointing that neither of them uh get eaten it's a complicated it's a complicated set of emotions we care about these guys but also if one of them was to get eaten i wouldn't be mad about it yeah, I, I think it's interesting that um, the a couple things. One, I as far as I can tell, neither one of them in yellow, although I'm not sure who's who. Mm. Is Charlie the one with the roast? Is that what we decided? Yeah, I think so. And and when they're when you see the two of them on the dock, I think he's the one that's further back, and the other guy is the one in the hat. I don't oh, know. Okay. Well they they both have hats on. Oh, that doesn't help then. <laughs> Yeah, but there's one in kind of like a checkered shirt and the Mm. other one's wearing solid color. Mm -hmm. The checkered shirt, once again, it's super dark, could be yellow, but I don't think it is. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think it's more of a brown. I think it's more similar to what Brody's wearing, actually. Mm. Um, So it is interesting that they went out of their way to be like, hey, these guys don't get eaten, even though they get rattled by the shark. Um, But also, I forgot my second point. Crap. Um... Oh, that's, I figured it out. I remember. Um, I do like that they are kind of portraying the shark as a little bit like a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Um, so serial killers, for the most part, and if you listen to like a lot of true crime and stuff, you see them kind of operate where they will escalate, right? Like they don't start off, granted the shark does start off killing people, but um so it's, it's a little bit of a labored analogy but the so they don't initially start off killing people like it's a lot of for the most part they they will um either do some torture or like other manipulative things to kind of impose their will on other people before it escalates into actual taking of life mm-hmm. and sometimes they will kill people and then back off a little bit and you know they'll they'll, they'll go through cycles where they 
the murders and then get guilty about it or feel guilty about it and try to course correct, but they can't Mm -hmm. and end up going back to it. But when they try to course correct, they, you know, they kind of try to be quote unquote normal. And then once again, like one thing leads to another as far as into messing with people or, or imposing their will on them and then taking a life again. And that's sort of what this feels like. Mm-hmm. Granted, obviously the shark does not have the higher thinking capability <laughs> to do that, but they also have to characterize the shark in a way that feels like a relatable pattern to a person um, because people are the ones watching it, not sharks. Um, and as such, they impose that sort of cycle on it, right? So he's taken two lives and, you know, it's not showing like the shark feels guilty about it, but... <laughs> Uh, you know, this shark is now presented with this, un, you know, the other thing too is serial killers are for the most part meticulous. Like they will plan out their, their stuff. And mm-hmm. this was kind of an unplanned thing, right? They're kind of catching the shark by surprise. And so oftentimes when a serial killer is in a situation like that, they will just do something to kind of scare people or mm-hmm. once again, manipulate them. So that's happening here too. So they're, they're almost taking the, 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 the ethos of like a lot of serial killers like the the killing pattern or or mo that's what i'm trying to think Mm. of the the mo of a serial killer and applying it to the shark to make it more of the villain of the movie in a relatable way Mm. um and i think that's really interesting yeah that kind of that kind of makes sense as well when you sort of think about the shark's pattern of killing and i'm not trying to suggest that the shark has got this like little chart and he's like thought it out and you know has made right. this schedule but it does uh alternate between killing or attacking during the day and at night so chrissy uh is killed at night and then alex is during the middle of the day or you know not sure but it's certainly sunny and bright and people are outside and then the although unsuccessful the shark then obviously tries to attack these fishermen and that happens at night and then i believe the next time we see the shark is in the when he attacks in the estuary is that right i think Mm -hmm. i'm getting my sequence of events right yeah because the next thing we see in the water is ben gardner and we just got the tooth there Mm. there's no shark Mm -hmm. and then the the kids on fourth of july yeah the the cardboard fin right yeah, so yeah. So there's not a lot of there's not a lot more stuff in the water after this, really. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And yeah, so uh, then obviously, it's uh, that pattern does just about track. I think in terms of like when when the shark specifically attacks. Obviously, the the Ben Gardner happens off screen, so we don't mm-hmm. we don't see that. But the next time we see the shark attack and actually see the shark and the result of it is when the shark is in the pond and it bites that guy's leg off i think that's right i'm gonna have (laughs) yeah i think you're i think you're right too yeah Um, angry people writing me like you don't know jaws but you know yeah right (laughs) i'm watching it minute by minute and in this case in this scene frame by frame what more do you want from me (laughs) right please don't i have had enough coups to last a lifetime please do not try one for the podcast yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to make us very sad indeed please i please. very <laughs> recently had to deal with a coup and not a fan even <laughs> though very indirectly yeah not yeah. on the same coast but felt very not not a feeling i recommend yeah. if you're if you're if your country can avoid a coup by all means do that 
if you're yeah if you're planning a coup and you're listening to this podcast like please just rethink your life choices and maybe yeah, don't. even if it's for the podcast yeah <laughs> maybe just maybe just don't do it uh is yeah. our advice and our parting words uh for this week unless you had anything else that you wanted to mention no i think don't do a coup is a good way to end uh yeah <laughs> this episode <laughs> I agree. And we have got um, some new and exciting updates. So um, you may have seen that we um, brought out a new uh, design on our merchandise um, inspired by our sign off line, uh, which is, as you know, it's Jaws O'Clock Somewhere. So a huge thank you um, again to Alex who designed that for us. Um, It's just amazing i love looking at it so so much (laughs) i gave um so good the brief that i gave was maybe slightly better than the like terrible drawing i drew of what became our logo um but i sort of was like a margaritaville style (laughs) thing i was like a little cocktail maybe uh just obviously the shark like similar colors to our logo and just sort of like gave him that and then he presented this absolute masterpiece to us um I love the little blood cocktail. I love the little mm-hmm. skull stirrer thing. It's fantastic. And the great news is that you can now own this uh, as well as our original logo um, on whatever merchandise you like. So you can get a mug or a t-shirt or a pin or coasters. I'm definitely getting coasters. <laughs> My friend said that as well. She was, oh, I think it was Lucy actually who came on a few weeks ago. She was just like, when mm. I move into my new house, I am definitely getting these coasters. <laughs> I was like, absolutely you are. They're so great. I don't drink, but I would like it on a shot glass. I don't think that's an option. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Red Bubble or Tea Public, if you're listening, uh, make shot glasses the merchandise and I will buy one. Even though, yeah. even though I don't drink, but I would like to own one. Um, yeah, so you can get that and our original logo on uh, Redbubble and Tee Public, and you can find the links to that in our Twitter bio. Um, so definitely do that. It's a great way of supporting the podcast. And speaking of supporting the podcast, we launched a, um, a coffee page, which is spelled K-O-F-I, um, and we're not gonna start charging you guys for our episodes um you couldn't put a price on this quality content um as we know but if you did want to um chuck us uh three pounds i think is the is the sort of suggested amount um which will buy us some virtual or real caffeine we've not decided um but again yeah just another way of sort of showing showing your support and means that we can continue to um put out all this great content for you um, and we really appreciate any donations. If you do make a donation and you let us know that you've done it, then we will give you um, a shout out in this section as well, just as a way of saying thanks. Um, and yeah, you can follow us uh, on Twitter. The uh, podcast handle is at Jaws for a Minute. I am at Sarah Buddery and MJ is at MJSmith891. And you can email any uh, thoughts, feedback, questions or anything else um, about the show uh, that you want to know or that you want us to talk about to jaws for a minute at gmail.com and i think that's everything for this week so uh we will of course be back next week um and as it says on our new merchandise uh it's jaws o'clock somewhere <laughs>